the Scripture and read the Scripture and, and then uh, somebody else reads it and you hear something for the very first time. It says that, uh, that the Lord planted and, and created all of these trees that were pleasing to the eye. Uh, my guess is, is that cedar trees did not come about until after chapter 3 and the fall of creation. <laughs> I do love a cedar tree, though. Not. <laughs> Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, we're grateful that we have this story, this, this story of the creation, this account that helps us deal with reality, that helps us to understand who we are why we exist, this planet that we live on, how it got here. We're so thankful for this, Father, because of the kind of culture that we live in today. We pray that as we press our mind into this text, that it will open up and blossom before us in such a way that not only are we moved, but we are so convicted of the greatness of Your presence, not only in our lives, but in all of the universe. For You are majestic and holy and great, and gigantic and enormous and you are full of mercy and compassion and love to the extent that it seems like we drown in it, Father, when we think deeply about it. So great is it to us. Father, thank You for this Word. We pray for the eyes that see and the ears that hear. And we pray that You guide us in this study. In the name of Jesus, we pray it. Amen. I want to see your hands if you really dislike car problems. I mean, not just dislike, but I mean you just really hate it. I, I don't know that much about modern cars. You know, I'm old enough, and it's kind of weird to say that, but I'm old enough to remember when a guy could do basically all of the maintenance on his, his own car, change the oil, change, change all kinds of things on it, even do the, the tune-up. And In fact, uh, you know, we used to talk about shade tree mechanics. A guy could park his car under a shade tree and do all of that work there. But the modern car is complex. And so I have to go to a mechanic who has the answers because I need the knowledge. I don't need opinions about it. And I don't need preferences about it. I need someone who knows what's going on with my car because when you know what's going on, then you can deal with reality. One of the values, one of the gifts that comes to us because of knowledge is the ability to deal with reality. The, the, one of the values of knowledge, it helps you to deal with reality. Now the reality of Genesis is that it's being handed to people who are getting ready to go into the promised land. And as Moses is leading these people through the desert, they are going to encounter a different kind of a civilization, a different kind of a world than they have known for the past year since leaving in, during the exodus from Egypt. They are going to enter, encounter a world that Alan Ross describes, one of the, the Genesis commentators, says they're going to encounter a world plagued by the worship of false gods who would challenge the Lord for Israel's affections and allegiance. Now, how would they do that? Well, Israel was going to go into a land where they were going to find a world where the sun, the moon, the stars, the animals, the rivers, everything, the rocks, and a host of other things were going to be called God. A world of myths and false gods about reality. And the creation account was given to Israel to remind them that everything that the Canaanites worshipped had been created by God who was before all things. 
And because He created all things and was before all things, how foolish it was to have any God besides Him. Isn't that the very start of the Ten Commandments? That's why Israel needed this knowledge. That's why Israel needed Genesis. That's why Israel needed Genesis 1 and 2 to deal with the reality of the world that they were facing that would try to diminish and dilute the greatness of the presence of God as the explanation for everything. Now, the ironic thing is that that happened a long, 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 long time ago. The ironic thing is that we encounter, even though it was a long time ago, the same kind of world today. And that's why we as a church family need to understand the creation account too. So what is it that creation teaches us about reality? I mean, there's a lot of things that you have already talked about and been taught all your lives. Let me just mention two. The first one, most basic, God created the world. God created the world. The Bible begins in Hebrew, Bereshit bara Elohim et hashamayim vayet haaretz. In English, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God did all of that. And what the Hebrews heard and what we hear every time we read Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1 is that our world, the ground that we stand on, the air that we breathe, the people that we encounter, this world is not here by chance and it's not here by accident. There is purpose. And the text continues with these words. The earth was what? Formless and void and what? Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was moving. In Hebrew, the word is actually hovering or, or even more literally fluttering like, like a, uh, a hen gathers chicks, was fluttering over the surface of the waters. Verse 3, Then God said, Let there be light, and there was what, church? Light. The random creation of the world. The random creation of 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 the earth that we stand on, the earth that we inhabit, is the modern secular view. That the world is here because of particles in space banged into each other with sufficient force that the creation came into creation. But the Bible has a different kind of an explanation. That word created that we find in Genesis 1, 1 through 3, the word bara is a word that is used only of God. Now we craft, we put together, we, 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 we build but only this word bara is used of God, that He created it. And it means not only to create, but to create something new. Not necessarily out of nothing, but where there was nothing, there is now something. God was creating something new. Now again, when you think about it, there are basically three views of the world and its creation and how all of us got here. The first is the modern explanation of reality, of creation, and that the world we live in, the material world, is here by accident, but it's the only thing that's real. The material world is the only reality. Nature is the only show. It's the whole show. And so the result of a worldview like that is that you live for the matter. The matter is what counts. The matter is the whole show. The matter is what you live for, the materialism. And so that's, that's how you live, collecting the stuff. You, you live for the matter. You live for collecting all of the stuff that we encounter in creation. That's behind the bumper sticker that said a long time ago. It's a foolish bumper sticker that said, He who has the most toys, uh, he who dies with the most toys, what? Wins. The second is the ancient myth, and there are lots of them, 
But mainly, it's the world being created out of the body of a dead God. There's a battle. There are two gods that are fighting with one another. One God slays the other God out of the body of the dead God. Here comes the creation. Therefore, matter is not really all that great. Matter is really not all of that good. You want to escape the body. And the highest good is to be rid of the physical. That is, nothing on earth is really worth keeping. Even the body itself is not all of that great. That's why you find some of the, the ancient religions that have become some of the newer religions talking about you've got, to get, got, you've got to get rid of any kind of attachment to the body and you want to go to a place where it's just, it's just cognitive, rational, spiritual existence. The third, though, the biblical view, is that God created this. Therefore, the world is important. Therefore, the world is good. And what Genesis 1 does is confront both of these worldviews, the modern view and the ancient view, and it begins by God's, it began by God speaking it into existence. Out of nothing, there is this something. And then the second thing, and this is where we're going to spend most of our time this morning, is that God said it was good. That it's good. Over and over in the creation account of Genesis 1 and 2, God looks at what He has created and says that it is tov. It's good. It's tov. Which stands against the modern and the ancient myths. The ancient myths had to escape the world and hated the pleasures of the earthly life. The modern myths jettisoned God and turned what is created into the ultimate good. That is, they turned the... The, the created matter into the God. The Christian view is neither. The world has value. But it's God who is worshipped. And as Seth read for us just a couple of minutes ago, the Bible says that we are stewards of this world. What is it that we pray? Our Lord, which art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's why the church works to fix what is broken in the world. Not just lives. But the things that we find in creation that are broken, the church is involved in, in putting it back together. But let's, let's take it one step further. Last week, one of the things that I emphasized in, in thinking about in the beginning God was the importance of understanding the triune God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit in perfect harmony and community. And here they are, before a word is spoken that creates light and, and creates the heavens and the earth and all of that, they are circling each other and glorifying each other and adoring each other and, and bowing down before each other and making much of each other. And then one day they say, let's expand the circle. And creation, the creating of the heavens and the earth is the expanding of the circle of harmony and love between the members of the triune God. Uh, one of the big themes, as, as this, this major segment of, uh, on your outline says, one of the major big themes in Genesis 1 and 2 is this word good. The word Hebrew is tov. It, God says it is tov. Eleven times it's used to describe God's thoughts about His, His creation. God speaks a word and, and things happen. And every time He looks at His creation and He says that it's good. Now, what, is, what in the world does it mean for God to say that it's good? Well, uh, you know, it can mean it, it passes inspection. And there's a sense in which that's what the word tov means. When God says it's tov, what He is basically saying there is that 
what I had in my mind, what it was that I am instructing my Word to create, that's what I'm seeing in front of me. There is a sense in which it's the, the inspection and the passing of inspection of creation. But good means more than just passing inspection. You remember, you know, there was, I was thinking uh, about this particular thought. You remember it was back in the 1970s and 1980s, Haynes Inspector Number 12. Remember, she would inspect Haynes, and she said, it doesn't say Haynes until what? I say, they say Haynes. Now, there is a sense in which this is what the word means. It's good. But it also means that God is enjoying and He is exuberant in His creation. What do you do? It's 110 degrees, which is not, you know, uh, so far out of the imagination here in South Texas. It's 110 degrees in the shade during the summer. And somebody in your home has the brilliant idea of making homemade vanilla ice cream. What is the first thing you do once you're handed that bowl? I mean, you look at it, it looks right, it looks beautiful, and you, because it passes inspection, you stick that spoon in and you put it in your mouth, and then you put that spoon back, and what do you do? Mm, oh, man, that's good. You're thirsty. And it's that first gulp of water or that Coca-Cola. Or it's early in the morning and it's cold outside and it's that first sip of hot coffee. What do you, you set it down and you look at it and you go, man, that's good. It's not good just because it passes inspection. It's good because it's pleasurable. You say, man, that's good. And so here is God creating the world, speaking the Word, and it comes into existence. And every time He sees what is tov, He is enjoying what it is that before Him He has created. And then, creation completes the circle. Remember, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit are circling each other and, and, and adoring one another and serving one another and making much of each other, bowing down and serving each other. And, and it's this perfect harmony. It's love. And love is the primacy is the, the, the primary thing, not power. But then they expand that circle to inc include all of creation, including human beings. And what is it that Psalm 19 says about creation? That it completes the circle in the sense that the heavens are declaring the glory of God and the skies proclaim the work of His hands. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet... Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. And so here is God that is looking down on His creation and saying, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. David tells us in Psalm 19 that the creation looks back at God and says, we are happy because our Maker says that we are good and He enjoys us. Have you ever thought about why we are so moved by creation. Why we are so moved by it. Why do, why do we hear the, the, the woods and nature sometimes referred to as a cathedral or a church? Have you ever thought about that? Because I think nature, as a choir, sings to its Maker. Nature sings like a choir to its maker. That's what Psalm 19 verses 1, 3, and 4 are talking about. That, that creation is still a God-saturated creation, although it has fallen. We'll, we'll talk about that next week. But God-saturated 
creation still sings about the glory of God, even though the culture, all the cultures basically that are in existence, try to, to push God out of the picture. Romans chapter 1. What does Paul say happens in our mind and in our soul and in our heart when we look at creation? Even though for, for a lot of folk, a lot of uh, the, the human creatures, they exchange that truth for a lie. What does it that Paul says about nature? says when we look at nature we see a couple of things we see the eternal power of god and we see the divine nature of god we may not see a whole lot more in detail but we 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 sense that we see that we glean that truth we harvest that truth in our experience of looking at creation the creation that god has built and nature as a choir sings to its maker and and what do they sing what what, how do they glorify Him? They sing, God is our Creator, and our Maker says that we are good. But even you know, as we're moved by the beauty of creation, there is something else there in our hearts. Some people, you know, when you stand out in front of the, the Grand Canyon, will say, I felt so small, I felt so insignificant. Or you stand before the gigantic mountains of the earth or the vast oceans or, or, or some other tremendously important piece of creation and we feel small and we feel insignificant. Perhaps. But I think it's really something else. C.S. Lewis, in, in a sermon entitled The Weight of Glory, makes mention of, have you ever wondered why the ancient authors put nymphs and, and fairies and, and elves in these stories where, where these, these creatures and creation seem to be so united with one another? He goes, why do the poets tell us that somehow the westerly winds are going to enter inside of us, even though it's a lie? He says, have you, ever, have you ever wondered why when we look at all of creation, there is something that, that is so staggering to us that at times it feels like we're pining for something. And what Lewis says is that all of that is an indicator when we look at creation and we perceive in our mind and in our heart and our soul that there is a, a, an eternal power and a divine nature that has created all of this. We realize when we look at nature and we perceive, even though we don't hear it, because it's, not with, it, it's without words and without speech, we, we sense that nature is glorifying God. But we're on the wrong side of the door. That we or on the outside. We can't sing like the brooks and the waterfalls and the birds and the mountains because the darkness and the void and the emptiness has come inside our hearts once again. One of the great early American preachers, a fellow by the name of George Whitfield, one time in a sermon posed this question. He said, have you ever thought, why, why do, have you ever wondered, why do the creatures of the earth flee from us and fly from us? If you like to take hikes, if you like to go out into the woods, if you like to go uh, anywhere out into the woods, into the nature, anywhere out into you know, you know, the, 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 the pristine earth, the creation, why is it that the birds fly away, the squirrels run away? Why is it that, 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 that some of the animals screech at us and then flee? Whitfield's answer was, 
because they know we are in a quarrel with their master. We choose to be our own God. Even though all creation reminds us on a daily basis of the divine power and the eternal nature of the One who made it. And yet we choose to be our own God. All of creation is singing under the benediction of God. And we sense that we are not under that umbrella. Humans cannot. And so what are we to do? What are we to do? Well, where else do we read the words in the beginning? In John 1 and verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That Word, God the Son, Jesus, the invisible Creator, became flesh, became visible, being born of a virgin in Bethlehem. And that God the Son, that Word, that invisible Creator who spoke a Word and the universe was made, became like us. And at the cross, the Creator is experiencing being uncreated or unmade. Which is what death really is. Our bodies were made to cohere. Death is when our bodies stop cohering. And He cries out on the cross, Why have you forsaken Me? Because the Spirit of God is not hovering, is not fluttering over Him. And that is how God fills the hole, that God-shaped hole, that God-shaped void, that God-shaped emptiness in your heart. That Christ was made the void for you in order for you to be remade. For you to be born again. So that once again, God can pronounce over you, Tov. Good. And you and I can join the song. Maybe you've never done it this morning the way that Crystal did in confessing that you believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That not only did He create everything, but because of our sin, His Son had to come. Had to come and to die for our sins in order for us to have any hope of relationship, of redemption, of being remade in the image of Jesus. Romans chapter 8, verse 29. By having our sins washed away and committing ourselves to living day after day after day after day as a disciple of Jesus. As, as Jeff talked about in the, the communion devotional, of picking up our cross on a daily basis and following Him, living like He lived. Maybe you've never made that decision. Maybe you've, you've, you've never thought about it. But I'm, everywhere you go, everywhere you go in creation, Creation is saying there is a Maker. There is a God who made this all. And your life is not meaningless and insignificant because molecules just happen to bang into each other with sufficient force and with the right kind of, of, of lottery ticket in order for all of this to be made. But God made you in order to have relationship with you, to expand the circle 
and to invite you in. And, and for that to be the, the, the greatest blessing of your entire existence all the way into eternity. If there are ways that we can help you to make that connection, to make sense of, 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 of your life by connecting it to God and to God's Word, some of our shepherds are going to be down here at the front. We want you to come down and talk to these men during the singing of the next song. And for those of us who are ready, let us... Like creation, sing the greatness of God. Remember Jesus one day talked about the rocks. You know, one, the, one of the jobs that we don't talk about, well, one of the jobs of our church, Jesus said God could make worshipers, even these, these rocks will worship God. It's our job to keep the rocks from doing it because we're doing it. Let's stand and worship God. Holy Lord, most holy.